when they don't get good results, they are extremely likely to just ditch the site and look somewhere else because they know that Google is less than a second away. And why would they waste time looking for something that they don't know that you can't present to them when they know that Google can? This is Time for Marketing, the marketing podcast that will tell you everything you've missed when you didn't attend the marketing conference. Hello and welcome to the Time for Marketing podcast, the podcast where we invite marketing conference speakers to sum up their presentations. So if you've missed the conference, we'll have the best speakers here. My name is Peter. And as always, I'll be your host today. Before I tell you who our amazing speaker this time is, I'll just like to invite you to go and subscribe to the, your, this podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So I spoke on the podcast uh, a couple of times that I've been to the Brighton SEO conference and we had, if not for this year, uh, for uh, the previous Brighton conference, a couple of speakers that were there already. And while I was there, the, I remember, if I remember right, the second lecture from the uh, in the morning was one that really got me excited about the topics on that conference and there was a lecture on how to manage your on-site search and this was something that i sort of feel that is often forgotten when we speak about the user experience and analytics and all of that so this is why i was really excited because uh, it was something more or less new or something that I've forgotten about myself. So this is why I invited JP to come to be a guest at this podcast and sum up the presentation. JP, hello and welcome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I am honored and humbled to have been invited. Uh, so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, how is uh, the, how are the United States? Uh, how are you doing up there? It's a little chilly. And as always, just a little crazy, but we, we managed to get by. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, have you started the winter already up there? How, how northern or southern are you? Uh, your country is so big that you get uh, the, the biggest winters and the, we never have winter. So where in that uh, part are you? So I am located in Raleigh, North Carolina which is in right. the southeast corner of the United States. To give a little perspective, I'm about a good three-hour drive away from Washington, D.C., and about a good eight-hour drive from uh, New York City. North Carolina is known for having cold winters, blazing hot summers, and just a lot of humidity. All right, but you have four four seasons, so that's 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 okay. That's why I like what I like about my about my country, uh, four yes. uh, separate seasons. That's really nice. Yes, um, you've been um, into SEO and search engines uh, a big chunk of your life is what I read online. Right now you work on search, but not on search engines that we usually think of. You're the Enterprise Search and Findability Manager at Red Hat. Can you tell us briefly something about what you do and, of course, about your company, but I'm pretty sure that everyone knows your company already. 
<laughs> well, um, first of all, yeah, uh, Red Hat is the largest open source software developer. We we build Red Hat Enterprise Linux. We're all Linux based, and basically what we do is we sell free software, meaning that you can download Red Hat Linux and use it. And the way that we make money is through subscriptions, which give you support and things like that. So if you can use our software and you're paying for the support. We need to be incredibly user-centric, customer-centric, and deliver an incredible amount of value so that the subscription retains value and people resubscribe. And so what I do is when people are using our software, they need to know how to install a new version. They need to know how to migrate. So I manage about a good three quarters of, three quarters of a million documents on our site search and our content to help users find information from troubleshooting to upgrading to administration. So while I definitely have done SEO right now, my, my primary focus is findability, which uses SEO as a tactic for people to find information. Uh, site search is another tactic, voice search, chat bots. And so one of the things that I do is I make sure that however people want to find information, there is a well-optimized pathway for people to find the information that they're looking for. All right. So you're sort of the UX expert for documents or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of what I do in terms of uh, working directly with content is looking at the architecture, looking at the templating and making sure that um, our content can be consumed by different channels where people search so that they get a good experience and a good find and, and they can find the information that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's go to the main point of this podcast. This is your presentation that you had at this Falls Brighton SEO conference. The presentation was called Deliver Discovery and Revenue by Optimizing On-Site Search. So not only being good in on-site search, but also getting revenue from that. As the end of the day, we always need to do everything for the revenue. This, yes. yeah, these are your five minutes. All right. So basically, what's what, why I talked about why on-site search is important. How do we measure it, and then what can we do with it? And the way that I look at it is that this really this this field really kind of is underrepresented in in search, partially because uh, many many several years ago, Google stopped giving us a lot of data on key, on keyword data. And so we'd get not provided. And after a little bit of panicking, people started to realize that they're actually getting a lot of keyword information from their users from site search. So how can we better deliver results to these users who are on our site? And the thing that I, the thing that I really kind of looked at was these are people who are on your site. They think you have what they're looking for and they are already taking, they're already investing some of their time and energy in looking for what they think you have. And so the good news is that if they can find what they're looking for, they are more likely to convert, they are more likely to return, and they're more likely to add to cart, they're more likely to read. So everything that you want them to do, if people find it on site search, they're more likely to do that. The, the downside is that most organizations don't have a lot of resources dedicated to site search. And I'll just be super honest, most site search experiences are just garbage. And it's garbage because a lot of organizations, they plug in their site search or it's a part of their CMS and they don't optimize it at all. 
They do nothing to it. And so from a user perspective, because Google has trained people to expect good results when they get good results from site search, that's what's supposed to happen. Like that's the expectation. And when they don't get good results, they are extremely likely to just ditch the site and look somewhere else because they know that Google is less than a second away. And why would they waste time looking for something that they don't know that you can't present to them when they know that Google can? So we so I take a look at the measurement side in terms of how many searches are performed, how many people click through the results. Of those people who click through results, how many of them add to cart, how many of them purchase? And then I'm specifically there talking about more of an e-commerce where you actually purchase things. On my side, people don't actually buy things from our search or from the content that they get to on our search. It's more knowledge-based. So what are the differences between search on e-commerce platform versus search on a knowledge platform. And then once you can start measuring the data about what people do, you can start taking a look at the content that's presented, such as um, figuring out results set quality. Are my results good? Can I find any patterns in our content that shows up that show either good behaviors or poor content? So how can we, how can we improve not just the click-throughs, or the conversions, but but primarily, how can we improve the result set quality? Then from there, once we start measuring those kind of very quantitative things, I try to look at the qualitative things, such as SERP design, because we don't we don't have to be Google. We can be better than Google, I think. Because if somebody's coming to your site and you know your customers and you've done your research, you can design search results that fit with their behavior, that fit with their expectations, that fit the specific information that they want to see. And then how can that improve your content creation pipeline? How can that identify content that is performing well? How is that how can we identify content that's not performing well? And essentially using site search as another way to generate uh, customer loyalty, customer happiness, conversions, um, and all of these other great things, and um, ultimately becoming a great resource of knowledge and information to our users. Because the tricky thing is, is that one of the things that we do know is that people look at the search results, the individual snippets, for about less than a second. And so part of the skills that SEOs already have in terms of writing content that is descriptive, writing content that's valuable, writing metadata that's descriptive and valuable. How can, how can we better present that information in a way that is valuable to the user on the search and on the SERP design? So these are really kind of the big topics that I look at. These are the, the things that I try to optimize. And at my work, I do it from a knowledge-based perspective, but I've had quite a bit of experience doing it on the e-commerce and retail side. So yeah, that's, that is the basic idea of, of what I do. All right. Excellent. Thank you. It's really incredible how often e-commerce owners don't really look at how their uh, search landing, uh, on-site search results page looks like. It was something that was really interesting to me. And on the other hand, the first thing that I did, I opened up analytics and figured out that the conversion rate from the people on a couple of e-commerce sites where I have the access to their analytics, the conversion from people who have used their on-site search was almost double than the one from the people that didn't use it. So it's an incredible important part of the website that is really, as you said, usually it's just used whatever comes with the CMS. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that, I think the first thing that people generally do or organizations do when they look at site search is that they, they tend to look for trends. I used to work for an online mm -hmm. uh, bicycle retailer and they would look for what are the top 10 things people are looking for. And obviously I was able to track some seasonality to these searches, 
But that data was primarily used just to inform things like sales and promotions. And I started asking questions like, why aren't we measuring our conversions through search? Well, like, why is this not a big deal? And that's kind of what started getting me on like this site search as a discipline. But before that, I was, I was uh, recruited and hired for a job out in Los Angeles to build a search engine for video games. And that was, that was back in 2004. And that was really kind of the first time I got into the actual guts of a search engine and being able to manipulate rankings and relevancy and things like that. And that's that's where I kind of caught the, this is interesting. Um, you sort of said something interesting. You said, we don't want to copy Google. We want to be better than them. Uh, and I get that. Um, are there features that you see, you saw at Google and you think that they should be implemented into uh, every website's uh, search results? Like, I don't know, uh, the right-hand uh, side featured snippet or rankings or Whatever. Is there something where you think, all right, this is something that Google did extremely well. We should also do that. And what is the thing that Google doesn't have and you think that a good search result should have? Yeah, I would say the short answer is it, it <laughs> like so many things in SEO, like it, it depends. Um, for example, if my, if I'm selling automobiles, people want to see like the make and the color. They want to see the picture of the actual vehicle. And that's what's expected. So if you run an auto, and like a, if you sell vehicles on your site, you, your site search results need mm. to look different than Google's. It needs to be more image, image oriented. They also want to know miles per gallon or any, any kind of information that, that can be, that can be relevant to that particular uh, product. So what I say is that we can be better than Google because as marketers, we are supposed to know what key aspects of a product can influence a decision. So. If I'm selling bikes using some sort of visual signifier saying this is a road bike or this is a mountain bike, this is a kid's bike. So that's what I mean. When I, that's what I talk about when I say we can be better than Google because we can directly influence and show the, the value signals to the user in a very, very quick way. Whereas Google is, Google tends to view things at scale. So their search results need to look like mm. Google search results. And only in a few cases have they really changed drastically the actual look and feel of the search engine results page. I would say, however, that something that people should really have would be a method to boost results. And what I do is I, do, I have a process of what's called key matching for a boosted results. And I think of them as paid ads that I don't pay anything for because they're on my site. So if I know that a person is looking for flat tire troubleshooting, I can immediately send them a piece of content that I know answers the question to the very, very top. So some ability to match the right content with a good query from a user, that is probably very critical. Plus, it also, um, you want to make them visually different than the rest of the search engine results so people know this is a uh, either recommended or promoted or something else so that they know that this is there as not a part of the mm -hmm. natural or unaltered search results. Anything else like faceting, filtering, adding some sort of knowledge graph, something like a more like this or people also searched for, these are all great, but it doesn't work for everybody. And you really have to maintain kind of the balance between not enough information to make it to make a choice and too much information. Google always has the 10 results. Have you ever tested if the number 10 is really the best number of results or should we 
because uh, I sort of feel that e-commerce stores, a lot of e-commerce stores then also go with 10 results on a category page or uh, on a search result. Have you tried that go going lower or higher and does it work? Yes. As a matter of fact, for both e-commerce and knowledge base, we experimented with seven results. We experimented with 12 results. We experimented with 15 results. And what we find was that because Google has essentially made 10 results like the standard, it's kind of what people expect. And so what we found is that in our in the cases that I, I measured, our click-through rates actually went down. And so when we added more search results, we added things like, you know, 15 search results. We even added like the endless scroll mm -hmm. of search results. So you don't have to click through pages, you just scroll and they keep populating. And what happens is that you create more, uh, my hypothesis is that if you create more things for people to kind of click on, it, it kind of, I don't want to say it confuses people, but it gives them too many options. And it also kind of reduces the, the, um, the quality, the, the efficacy of getting good click-throughs from having a good results at quality. So having 10 good, let's say seven out of your 10 results are good. That is infinitely better than mm -hmm. having seven out of right. 20 results being good. And when you add too few, people kind of feel cheated. Like you're not giving me all the information. So it gets okay. a little, it, um, it gets a little for the there. Last question. Let's turn a bit away. And you've mentioned that you also are using search bots as a way uh, to communicate in a similar way as search, probably. My question here, I sort of imagine that people, of course, respond to search bots well mm -hmm. when they start using them. My question maybe goes in a different direction, asking if people are already ready to use, uh, to interact with the search bot. So um, I don't know if you have the answer, but uh, if I we would give them uh, one field, just have a normal search and then a different field where we would tell them you'll get a search uh, chatbot, which one would people use? And so the main question mm -hmm. is, should we all start going more and more into search bot and chatbots? So with search bots, I think people, when they, when they know that they're talking to a search bot, their expectations are fairly low. And search bots generally work well in a couple of different cases. One, using it as like a case deflection. Uh, if you can have a, if you can have a user kind of solve their own problem without you having to dedicate a human on a phone taking time. That is a net win for the user because they solve their problem. And it's a net win for the company because they don't have to spend as much money and, and annoy as much people by having a long call wait, wait times. So search bots tend to work much better when it is more concrete. If I, if I search for my Xbox One will not power up and I type that into the Microsoft chatbot support, they're like, Oh, we've seen this issue before. Here are five articles that may solve your issue. I check. Ah, that's the one. And I go and fix my, my Xbox. And so we're talking about a very concrete set of uh, variables, like power off, mm. product name. This is where chatbots really do well for the most part. Um, however, when you're looking for more contextual information, for example, a chatbot, like what would be a good bike to buy my child? There are so many open variables here. Like they don't, it's not very specific. So it kind of fails a little bit on the more contextual side. So that's where a lot of improvement can be made. But still, I would say chatbots are primarily the best used for service support and troubleshooting. When you can boil down the essence of what a user is asking into a very clear set of concrete right. examples um, of words. JP, this is probably it. 
for this podcast. Um, before we say goodbye, where can people find you? Are you going to be on other conferences or what's your, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I don't have any plans right now to uh, be at any mm -hmm. conferences in the near future. Um, I tend not to go to a lot of them. However, you can always um, find me at JP Sherman on Twitter. Um, I'm generally pretty active and I enjoy talking about stuff. So All right, thank you for being a guest at the Time for Marketing podcast. And this is probably the place where you can say goodbye. All right, well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it and goodbye.